Today, my guest is Diane Spicer, an expert in marketing and creative, forgiveness, and overcoming obstacles. Diane motivates men and women to thrive no matter who they are or what they've been through. Her corporate career across the globe has given her a breadth of experience with executive manager, director, and CEO roles. Her journey from the heights of corporate New York City to the depths of maximum security prisons in Australia will challenge, encourage, and inspire you. The challenges, addictions, and failures she has overcome in her own life give her unique insight and wisdom that can help you break through and become all you were created to be. Welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast by Faith and Gather. I'm your host, Erica Dvorak. Join me and the Faith and Gather community as we become faith-inspired to tackle every area of life. Career, faith, motherhood, loss, fitness, fashion, health, and more. Girl, we're going to meet you right where you're at, right where you need it. Keeping you one step ahead of the devil, armed with knowledge to fight your everyday battles and live a life faith-inspired. Come on, girl, let's get it. Thank you so much for joining me, Diane. I just so appreciate you spending the time to um, just talk through your journey and, and have the listeners learn a little bit more about you and your story and your story of forgiveness. Thanks so much, Erica, for inviting me. And I'm really excited about what you're doing with these podcasts. And it just provides an amazing platform for people to, to share more about what God's doing and me being here in Australia and you being in the United States, I mean, it's just amazing to me that we can do this together. And um, and thanks for the opportunity to share what God's done in my life. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And it is pretty amazing. So it's nine o'clock, almost nine o'clock my time at night and then what, two o'clock your time. So I love that we can get to connect and, and talk about our faith and, and our stories. You have just written a new book. Um, and I have had the chance to read it, and it really, truly is a remarkable story. Um, unbelievable. I kept, I would say, flipping through the pages, but um, I read the digital copy, and so I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And honestly, I'm I'm an early bird at night, so my bedtime's usually 9 o'clock at night, but I was up until midnight reading, <laughs> reading your book because, as you had told me, a friend had said the same thing. Like, it's just so, um, there's just so much in there to unpack. Um and just quite amazing. Um, now knowing you a little bit, just how how positive and energetic you are, and the the life story that you have had, it's just it's truly remarkable. So, if you could tell our listeners about your book, Unmasked, a remarkable true story of transformation and redemption, which it truly is, um, you know, tell us about your story because um, it's a biography, correct? Is what autobiography? Yeah. Um, so, if you could tell us, you know, what inspired you to write that book. So really what um, made you write all those nitty gritty details that some might not want to um, disclose, you know, what, what was your heart with that? And um, a little bit about that story too. All right. Okay. Well, first, thanks for reading the book, <laughs> for taking the time. It's been, um, it's been a long time coming. And I guess we could start by asking a question. Um, have you seen the movie, The Godfather? And my big fat Greek wedding. I think if you take those two movies and you combine them together, you have a pretty good idea of what my family was like growing up. So <laughs> there was a lot of chaos and it was, I was born and raised in Queens and I spent most of my life there in this big, loving Italian American Catholic family. And whatever stereotypical picture you just got in your mind when I said that, it's probably accurate. <laughs> So there was lots of crazy, you know, we had all the cousins and all the the food and the homemade wine and the parties. And um, it was just a fantastic um, environment to grow up in as, as a child. Um, at the age of 17, contrary to that stereotypical picture, I took the first step on, on the corporate ladder in New York City when all of my first cousins were getting married and having 
babies and cooking in the kitchen, I was rebelling and working my way up the corporate ladder in New York City. And um, I made it all the way to a becoming a director in a multi-million dollar toy company. And by, I guess, before I reached the age of 30, I had ticked all the boxes to fulfill what I call the American dream. Yeah, I was making a ridiculous amount of money. I was married to an Australian man um, around about the same time as Crocodile Dundee, the movie came out. So now everyone's like, oh, you know, you've married this Australian guy. <laughs> he had two beautiful children. We had a nanny and a maid and a big house on Long Island. Wow. Um, but deep down inside, behind this glamorous mask of, uh, you know, this perfect career woman, success, there was a secret and that secret was slowly killing me and literally brought me to several suicide attempts. I had been sexually abused as a child for nearly seven years and the trauma that I had experienced from that abuse led to years of drug and alcohol addictions, destructive relationships. I had had several abortions, miscarriages, and it was trauma upon trauma upon trauma all where all while wearing this mask like everything's fine everything's fine because i didn't know how to put words to what i was experiencing so i was so shut down but all of that the good news is that all of that was redeemed when i had an encounter with jesus christ and he led me on a journey that i'm still on and I like to say I went from the boardroom to the laundry room. I quit my career and stayed at home to raise my kids. I went from sex, drugs, and rock and roll to becoming an ordained minister. Um, I went from being a victim to having actual true victory in life and going from a director at a multi-million dollar toy company in New York City to being a director and a CEO of uh, non-for-profit organizations that were teaching life skills to maximum security prisoners. Like you, you couldn't get, um, you know, two further extremes. Um, but it was in the surrendering um, to Christ and allowing him to take control that um, the very first place he led me was right into my own heart and he led me through my pain to a place of healing and restoration. And in the process, people were watching and seeing this change happen. And throughout that journey, people would say to me, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, me, write a book. You know, I hardly made it through year 12. Um, I never went to college or university. Um, how would I even think about writing a book? Well, I guess you can say that, um, yeah, God took my mess. He gave me a message. But first he had to make me the messenger. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, You Should Write a Book became this little taunt that was just kept popping up every once in a while. And um, many times in my prayer times, throughout my journaling, I felt that it was something that I should do. But I just didn't believe enough in myself to actually step out and do it. And um, if I could change one thing about my past, um, it would be that to start to believe what not only the Bible says about who I am, but in what other people were telling me as well. I kept hearing it over and over again, but I didn't believe it because of the, some of the things that had happened to me. So jump ahead to 2020, COVID and joining the Life on Fire Academy, which is where I met you, mm -hmm. Erica. Um, it just gave me the perfect opportunity and the tools that I needed to upskill and finally finish it and publish the book. Um, it is my autobiography and I am just blown away. It was released um, a week and a half ago and it's already sold over a thousand copies, which I wow. just can't even believe is happening um, between the ebook and and the regular books. So yeah, we, we can, I guess, in summary, um, I wrote the book not to get sympathy or pity or praise because I've been through quite a bit in my life. Um, and some autobiographies are just uh, what I call a 
kind of verbal vomit. I know that sounds terrible, but it's like, <laughs> I did this and that happened and this happened and that happened. Um, I definitely did not want it to be that. Um, I really wrote it because throughout my life, um, parts of my story have inspired and challenged and helped other people. And I've seen that and I've received letters and phone calls and emails and all kinds of communication over the years from people that I hadn't, you know, been in contact with for a while. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, I remember you, you said such and such and changed my life. And I'm thinking me, you know, I, it's sometimes it seems like I'm just barely getting through my own day. (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. So it was, um, yeah. So I guess I needed to write it to reach even more people with the hope that no matter what we've been through or we're going through, we can have an abundant life and we can have peace in the storm. Wow. That's incredible. You really truly do have an incredible life story. And I want to say that's a little bit of an understatement. So you should go get Diane's book because there's so much, I want to say action in there. It's action packed just for a life story. And um, I hate to say that so easily because there's a lot in there. There's a lot that you have lived, but God has taken that, that mess and turned it into a message. As I know, reading through the book, there are like some key points in your life that have led you to where you are. Could you highlight some of those, those moments? I'm thinking, um, just a few of like your, your son, um, in the hospital and some other, other points that kind of led you to becoming an ordained minister, going from drug addiction to ordained minister and, and how that, that's a long journey and a long path. So how, how that developed and what were those key points or key areas in life? So here I was this career woman and pregnant with my second child and, you know, living the lifestyle of the rich and famous, I like to call it, because that's what it was. I was traveling all over the world um, in this position and, um, and, and really, you know, hiding behind this mask of, of this corporate world. And yes, I did experience some great things and learned some amazing business skills and, and all of that was real, but there was this hidden thing, as I explained, that was really undoing a lot of that. And there were many times, um, because I was raised in a Catholic upbringing and in my home, um, you know, my mom still has incredible faith. Um, I knew God existed, but I really believe that God was up there punishing me for the lifestyle that I had been living. And I had pretty much turned away from the Catholic faith completely. And um, so there I was pregnant. We had just given birth to my son and, you know, now perfect. Now I had a daughter, I had a son, Um, you know, what else? You know, I just had the perfect life. People were envious of me. My friends kept saying, I wish I was you. And I kept saying, I wish I was you. Um, But when Alex was um, eight weeks old, he contacted what we thought was just a cold and we um, took him to doctors and the doctor said, you know, um, he, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Just, you know, watch him through the night. And one night he had actually stopped breathing and was rushed to the hospital. Two months later, they could not diagnose. He was tested for every single thing that you could possibly think of. And um, eventually he was diagnosed with double pneumonia and whooping cough. Now he was eight weeks old. And needless to say, he was in an incubator and hooked up to all kinds of tubes. And it was at that time after the cesarean section that I had to deliver him after not being able to jump right back into the drugs and alcohol that were keeping me going, um, there I was for two months in in this hospital room, listening to the machines, listening to the chaos of just being in an ICU ward um, for that period of time and refusing to leave that room. I got down on my knees and I cried out to this God that I knew existed, right? But I, I just thought, this is my punishment. This is why this is all happening. It's all my fault. And I said, Lord, if you, God, if you are real, just take my life and take Alex's life. I don't want to live. And the only way I could describe it is a blanket of peace came over me. And I dropped to the floor and 
Um, and I just wept and wept. And it went from going to this take my life, I don't want to live, to a knowing that he was going to be okay and so was I. I didn't know at the time that it was actually an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Like I, I had no grid to put that in. Um, but all I knew was that I was going to be fine. And I fell asleep on the floor in the ICU uh, next to his incubator. And the next morning, which was only a couple of hours later, nurses and doctors flooded in the room and they were comparing x-rays and arguing with each other. And there was a nurse in the corner. And as I jumped up off the floor, I saw that she was holding Alex in her arms. And I was convinced that he had died because he didn't have any tubes. And she, on the other hand, was yelling out, praise the Lord, Jesus healed your son. Praise the Lord, Jesus healed your son. I could still hear, I could still hear her voice um, yelling that out. And it gets me every time because the doctors were um, yelling at her, telling her to shut up and to be quiet. And she insisted and she brought him over to me and put him in my arms and said, looked at me and said, Jesus healed him. I've been praying for you this whole time. Now, I, I you know, all of this happened in a matter of seconds. And there I was holding him. And it turned out that three days later, we took him home completely healed. I had no other explanation. And I hadn't seen that nurse again. Um, for, for the two days that I was there. So I had no one to explain to me what really happened, but he was healed and I knew that. Um, and that began the journey for me to, um, to really find out who this God really was. He wasn't some statue in, in, in a big cathedral. He was alive and he was real. And he saw me in the, um, in the midst of my pain. And um, and willingly, <laughs> willingly entered into my world to um, to turn my life around. So um, yeah, there's so many there's so many experiences that I've had since that point um, with dreams and visions and encounters with um, I have to say with encounters with the Holy Spirit and with angels and you know. Um, some people hear that and think, oh, wow, she must be some weird religious nut, you know. Um, I'm far from that. <laughs> Sometimes I just go, oh, I don't even know how to explain this life that I'm living, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, and it's just been incredible. Um, and I know that even with everything that I've been through, um, I guess you could say that I've. there's a verse in Philippians that says that I find, you know, we finally learn the secret of being content, whether we have a lot, you know, whether I was living the lifestyles of rich and famous in this corporate world, um, you know, really the envy of so many people, or if I had a little after we moved from New York to Australia, where I am living now, and I had been through a divorce seven years ago, I felt like I lost everything. It was I'd been through so much in my life, but I felt like the divorce was the worst thing to happen to me because all I ever really wanted was, you know, that that family. I learned to be content whether I was well-fed, eating in five-star hotels in Hong Kong and Europe and the U.S. or, or hungry, um, actually facing the embarrassment of going on welfare for a short time um, before I'd started my own business. Uh, I mean, th there's just so much more. I, I learned more about God's provision and mercy and grace when I was supporting men and women in a maximum security prison um, than I did listening to any sermon on a Sunday morning because it was that face-to-face -face real experience um, that I was facing that stirred up this passion in me to um, to look beyond the masks that we all kind of wear at some point in our life to hide the hurt or, um, yeah, to hide who God truly made us to be. Um, God doesn't look at the outward appearances, does he? He looks 
at our hearts. And if we're human, we've all faced hardship of some some kind. We've all made mistakes. We've all done some pretty stupid things, if you're anything like me, um, but and some more than others. But it's I guess it's our innate need to um, to love and to be loved that really drives us as human beings and connects us. So, yeah, there's been lots of lessons learned, and I'm one that I guess God teaches me the lesson as I'm going through it. <laughs> I feel like I, I have to share it with someone else or or someone you know, or I'm trying to hide it when I'm going through because it's kind of embarrassing. But then someone calls me and says, you know, I I need to talk to you about such and such. This happened to me. And I'm going, oh, no, that's happening to me too. <laughs> so it's kind of this um, strange, um, I guess, I guess this, I finally came to that understanding that I don't have to be an expert. I just have to be a little bit further ahead than what you are. And you just have to be a little bit mm-hmm. further ahead to the people that they that that are behind you, and if we all just would share openly about some of the pain that we're experiencing, I think what we realize is we all have some similar some things in common, mm-hmm. and we can learn a lot from each other. And um, Jesus isn't some statue or God or religious crutch out there somewhere. <laughs> like He really is alive and he's longing um, to live inside of us and through us so that together we can all touch this hurting world. Mm. Wow. Yes, that's so good. What an incredible story. So inspiring, really. You truly are. And um, what popped in my head is how do you go from wearing that mask and that mask that you wore for so long um, with all the trauma and just the addiction and everything that you've gone through in your life, how do you so easily now, it seems just so easy for you to now um, not wear that mask and be vulnerable and connect with people? How do you go from being masked to unmasking yourself? That's a great question. And um, I don't know that there's an easy answer. And I think the first thing I want to say is there is no formula. And um, one of the things that I did write in my book was that, you know, this is my journey and this is the journey that God took me on. Um, Don't use it as some model. Um, You know, we could certainly learn from each other. But um, I think the most important thing is to understand that it takes time. We live in an instant world. We want everything fixed now. We want to pray and see that person healed now. <laughs> we want, you know, um, it, and everything, I believe, everything in society and in marketing, particularly coming from that background, um, leads us to believe that we can have everything instantaneously and without pain. You know, if you have a headache, take this, 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 and this and get rid of it quick. But they don't talk about why don't you address the root of that cause? What's causing the headache? Why don't you look at your diet and your exercise or your physical, the stress levels or, you know, no, just pop some pills and, you know, you'll be fine. Um, And I think... I think the unmasking for me has been a journey. I'm, I've become a Christian now 25 years and I'm still on that unmasking journey. And um, it, it, it may appear and sound like I'm this confident, you know, Hey, I'm out there and I'm just sharing everything. Um, It took, it took a while for me even to just get onto this podcast. And, and, um, and I share that too, because I, I want others to be able to do it afraid as well. We I think um, a lot of the teaching that I sat under in religious circles was, you know, if you just pray more, if you just read the Bible more, then um, you can do more and you can have, but that wasn't true for me. I was, you know, the only prayers I knew how to pray were wrote prayers that I learned in Catholic school. So you pray the rosary beat, you know, to have a conversation with God. Like that was really, can we do that? You know? mm-hmm. um, and then, and then I had a pastor show me some of the Psalms that David wrote, which were, um, there's a fancy term for it. It's called imprecatory prayers, which are really prayers where you're cursing your enemy, you know, 
And it's, it's like, what, you know, how do you talk to God and you're cursing your enemy, you know, and I, and he pointed out some of these Psalms where David himself is saying, you know, cut the tongues out of my enemy. And I'm thinking, well, I could pray that for a couple of people I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then to think, oh, you know, can I really be that free before God can, and, and then my pastor who's so full of wisdom, he said to me, Diane, he already knows all of you. He already sees it all. So you're, you're not hiding anything from him. And I think that was like a real revelation for me to go, wow, first, the first step in the unmasking is to get real with God. You, you, I, we can't live it unless we have it ourselves and share it with others if we don't have it ourselves. So I think getting real with where we're at with God, um, sharing those moments in in quiet times with him or with in a small group of Christian believers who are intercessors or or even prayer partners that, that can go to that place with you where you can cry and they're not telling you, oh, don't cry, don't, you know, just it's okay, God will heal you. Um, He will. And but just to provide a safe place um, with others that you can trust to let yourself go and to feel that pain, which is hard. It's really, it's tough. And um, that didn't come overnight. It took a long time um, to, to learn how to do that and then to continue to practice doing that. And I think the more we put that into practice, uh, the easier it becomes. And sometimes I need to be, um, now sitting on this side of it, I've I've been invited as a guest speaker. I've done women's conferences. I've talked in many churches and in community groups as well, and in government settings here in Australia. But I um, so sitting on this side of it now, it's 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 quite easy. But um, it's never really. Uh, I need to sometimes remind myself that it's comfortable for me to talk about my abuse or my addictions where other people are hearing it for the first time, it may be a bit jarring and it may be a bit shocking. So I don't mean to offend anyone in any way by anything that's in my book or in my story. It's just, um, it comes from a place of passion because for far too long, I struggled with nobody knows with what I'm going through. And I think if we could all just unmask a little bit more and let people in um, to what's behind our masks, um, not to go about using social media because I'm not about that at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> and being out there telling us, you know, what you had for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and all your dirty laundry. That is not, I see that. And it just, ugh, it, 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 yeah, it, that's not what it's about. Um, but it's about really becoming, I guess, authentic in who we are and in our experiences and sharing, I guess, recycling the pain, I like to say, um, rather than letting the pain destroy us, recycle, find a way to recycle that pain. And if we don't know how to do that ourselves, pray and ask God to bring people into your life that can help you do that because they're out there and um, and that help is available in more ways than one. Mm. Yeah. And I'm just um, kind of reflecting on that in my own life as well. And it, it is really that time in that community, you know, um, so, sh- so cliche to say, you know, time heals all wounds, but um, it may not completely heal it, but it really does help you to slowly work through things um, and get to a healthier place if you choose to work on it. And I think like you had said, it's, it's um, heading, facing it head on and it's uncomfortable um, and it doesn't feel good, but if you don't do then that, you you can't heal the way you need to in the way that God wants you to heal. I remember just after Alex was healed and we had taken him home, I um, I was taught in Catholic school that only the priests are holy enough to touch a holy Bible, yeah, and um, only they were allowed to read from it. And on Sundays at Mass, you'd go and you'd hear them reading from this incredible holy book. And um, so we didn't have a Bible growing up in my home. And um, I, um, yeah, I I went into a Christian bookstore 
after I had had this encounter because I I was driven. I felt there was something, something changed in me that night as well. Not only was Alex healed, but I knew something had changed in me. Suddenly everything seemed a little brighter and it was a weird kind of a thing because I had no um, explanation for it, you know? Um, and I was walking in this place of going, wow, I think something happened, but I wasn't really sure what it was. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, maybe I'm just relieved that Alex is healed or maybe it's, you know, after giving birth and your pregnancy hormones go back to whatever normal <laughs> is. Um, so, I, you know, all of that's happening. And, and I did have a three-year-old at the time. So you kind of, so all of this is going on and I'm thinking, well, I, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just, maybe there's a book or something that I could get to explain all of this. And I walked into this Christian bookstore and, um, and there was a lot of questions. I'm, I'm someone who all, often has a lot of questions about things and all of these questions are just, you know, flooding my mind as I walked into this bookstore. And there was only the the, the shopkeeper in there. And um, it was, yeah, I'll never forget that day because this woman, what was going on in my mind was, you know, I, I just need peace. Like I need some kind of, somebody's got to tell me what's going on in my life. <laughs> like my, you know, I just quit my, my career. My family's going, you're crazy. You're leaving, you know, all of this money. And it, you know, for them, it was a big status thing. And now you're just going to stay home and clean the house. Like, how are you going to do that? You got rid of the nanny, <laughs> you know, you're going to be a housewife. You know, I think, yes, that's what I want to do. And, and they're all thinking, I, you know, something, happened to me or you know I've joined some kind of cult or something and um but the truth was there was this hunger and and now I know it to be this you know it was God's spirit in me leading me to the truth and um the woman led me to a life application bible and she opened it up to Philippians chapter 4 verse 9 and it just blew my mind because not only was I touching the Bible, she didn't know anything about my past or anything. So there I was, you know, holding this book in my hand and I'm kind of shaking, but it it jumped off the page. It became alive because it what it says is, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, what that woman didn't know is that I was walking up and down the shelves, you know, the aisles in that bookstore, kind of saying, I need peace in my life. I need peace. I need to understand what happened. And here she is telling me, <laughs> the God of, if you, if you just put what's in this book into practice, the God of peace will be with you. And that was enough to just bring me to tears in front of this total stranger, you know, this strong career, you know, woman who had it all together, um, just broke right there in front of her. And she, um, she really was the, I guess, the spark that um, was ignited that day for God's word and putting God's word into practice in my own life was a whole different ball game to what I knew or related to God and religion. Because for me, it was about going to church. It was never about being the church. That was, you know, that's blasphemous. You can't be the church. You can't have God living in you. God lives in that big gold encrusted box that's all ornate. And, you know, he's a little piece of host up there, um, you know, and you're not worthy enough to, you know, for him to talk to, um, you know, and it, it just went on and on and on, these these contrasts. And, um, and the more I read, so, of course, obviously, I've, bought that Bible and brought it home and began devouring it. And I started reading things like pray for your enemies. And I'd slam that shut, go, what? <laughs> I'm not praying for my enemies. You know, forgive those who trespass against you. Um, and I'm thinking, forgive them. You know, how do you forgive someone who abused you for seven years and stole your innocence in childhood? Like how... How do you bring yourself to that point? Um, how do you give generously without expecting anything in return? 
you know, or how do you humble yourself and and become like Jesus? Like his life was perfect. (laughs) And so little by little, those kinds of things, I began to just take one at a time. And over a period of 25 years, I'm still working. You know, I don't think we ever arrive. Um, I began to say, all right, I'm going to start praying for my enemies. And that did not come easy. And that did not happen. Like I didn't say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to just forgive the man who abused me. And I didn't pick up the phone the next day and go, okay, I forgive you. Um, it was a, a very difficult, really long journey that took over a year um, with a lot of godly counsel, with trying to find that loophole in the Bible that said I didn't really have to do it. <laughs> Um, and um, and a wise pastor and his wife who really took me under their wings and explained to me that if I didn't do it, they knew that I had a calling on my life to go into ministry. And they said, um, if you're not doing it for him, you're doing it for you to be free. And if you choose to go down that path, um, you'll see that your ministry, you'll be allowing Christ to operate through you in his forgiveness and healing um, rather than giving people your hatred or your bitterness um, from things that have happened to you in the past. It was something that I didn't want to hear. <laughs> I didn't want to accept and and I didn't. It took time but um, eventually I came around to it because everywhere I looked Every message I heard on the radio, TV, every sermon, every book I picked up was about forgiving, 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 forgiving. And I couldn't get away from it. And I thought, okay, this is something that I need to do. And um, I, I write out the whole story in the book. And it's, it's quite amazing how God, um, how God provided after all those years. And I didn't know where he had lived or there, there were just so many little details of how God um, prepared me for that moment. And, um, and in the end, um, after having a big long plan of what I thought I should do and what I should say to him and had it all written out, um, the Holy Spirit kind of took over and I wound up preaching the gospel to him and telling him how if God can forgive me, God could also forgive him for what he did. And, um, and it, it was just an incredible experience and yeah that I didn't know it that day but that day did propel me into the ministry I'm in today um, which is bringing the gospel message to people that most in society say don't deserve it so to maximum security prisoners who have done incredible harm and have created lots of victims and horrendous crimes um, God looks at their heart And when you begin to hear their stories, 99.9% of them, at least the ones that I've heard, and I've listened to many, many stories over the 10-year period that I worked in the prison system here in Australia, um, 99.9% of those stories come from a place of trauma, come from a place of abuse themselves or rejection or severe lack as, as human beings. And um, no excuse for the crimes that they committed, but certainly does help to explain it. And um, yeah, so it's it's important to to hear the stories behind the masks that we wear. Even the prisoners wear masks. Um, big tough, you know, big tough guys behind the tattoos. They're really <laughs> <laughs> they're really not that um, that tough when when you speak a word to them and they look at you like, "How did you know that?" Yeah, and you say, "Well." I didn't know that. Um, I think God's showing me something and he wants you to know something. And um, it's, it's, yeah, it's quite a privilege to be used that way. Wow. So good. It's just simply amazing. Really is simply amazing. How do you walk through that with them? How do these individuals who really have committed crimes um, that created trauma in other people's lives, how do you walk through how they can forgive themselves? for something like that when maybe even society will never forgive them. True. True. Um, It came in the form of life skills, a life skill program um, that we were miraculously, you know, allowed to 
deliver in the prison system. Uh, here in the state of Victoria, where I live and, and have worked, um, it's actually illegal to proselytize. And that word proselytize means to convert someone to your faith if they're in prison. Oh, my goodness. Um, they're considered vulnerable. They're considered being in a vulnerable position. Same with somebody in a hospital. Um, yeah, it's actually illegal in, in this state to do that. So it was kind of, a, it was a challenge to walk in as a, as a believer, as someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit and, and whose life has been changed. Um, they can't stop me from sharing my story. So a lot of my story um, and parts of it were shared uh I mean, I, I certainly didn't walk in there just, you know, talking about me, but it was in conversation. It was around coming alongside these guys and um, and actually just noticing them. I know that sounds crazy, but when you're in the justice system, you're you become a number. You're given the same clothes. Everyone wears, you know, their greens or their blues or whatever they, their oranges, whatever depending on what country you're in, um, you all have the same shoes, the same cells, the same everything. Everything is just equalized and you're all the same. And that is set up so that the prison officers can manage the numbers of prisoners that are in there. But you, you lose your identity. And when I was praying, because... Erica, to be quite honest, I mean, I, I never had, I don't have any, you know, certification or qualifications, you know, as in corrections or anything like that. And I'm thinking, you want me to work in a prison? What? <laughs> like, how is that going to happen? And, um, and the whole story of how that whole started was just a joke. I actually was um, applying for a job and <laughs> um, took, took a job as a receptionist or we call it an admin person here, but um, as a receptionist and went for, went for the job interview and could not find the building. I, I was driving up and down and here in Australia, we drive on the other side of the road. So it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a comedy. I'm driving on the other side of the road. We didn't have GPS. So I had this map <laughs> and the, and the road that I was driving on was a dirt road. And I know in America, there's not many of those I, I would imagine or that I experienced anyway in New York but you know the road suddenly ends and now you have this you know these this gravel and and I'm driving up and down this gravel road and turning around making new turns and then a police comes behind me <laughs> stops pulls me over and um and I said you know I'm, I'm lost I'm looking for this place I have an interview and he heard my New York accent which back then was much stronger and um he didn't believe me. He he said, ma'am, you are driving up and down on prison property. And I thought, prison property? You're kidding. Like, I'm not on prison property. I'm lost. <laughs> and he's like, no, the, the school, that that's the address for the, the school in the prison. And he says, we're going to give you an escort. If you really have an interview, I'm giving you an escort. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is unreal. So I actually had a police escort. <laughs> To, to my job interview, and they said, yeah, this is a, um, it was called Malmesbury Juvenile Justice Centre. It was a juvenile prison, and there were 60 young men aged 18 to 25 in that, in that prison. I did get the job, obviously, and that was how God ever so slightly led me into prison ministry because he knew if he told me straight out, I would say, no, thank you. <laughs> Let somebody else do that. It's not for me, um, but that's how it happened. And and again, it was looking into the eyes of these young men who um, were very close to my son's age at the time, and just seeing how lost they were, and actually seeing a lot of myself in them with their addictions and their self harm, and and in their language of really putting themselves down. So it kind of unfolded in just first being there to listen to them and then helping them to find their own identity in Christ. Once they find out who they are, then lead them into um, what's behind their masks 
um, unless they have that foundation first in who they are in Christ and who God created them to be. And sometimes that just came in the form of giving them a compliment, <laughs> uh, you know, as crazy as that, hey, you look good today. Like, what, in this? You know, yeah, you're looking good today. You, you know, you, your face is glowing or thanks for the smile, you know, and they kind of look at you like, who are you? Like, what are you coming in here giving me a compliment? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but sometimes that one little compliment was exactly the seed that they needed to um, to keep them out of trouble that day, or to mm-hmm. remind them that that they're better than than what their circumstances were. So the yeah, I developed a program um, teaching them life skills, and I did that by sitting with four or five prisoners and asking them what they needed. I didn't go in there and tell them what they needed because I had no idea what they needed. Um, I wanted to hear from them and then develop the program around what they needed. And a lot of it was around life skills, relationships. How do you do relationships? How, you know, even just living day to day, the things that we take for granted and learning about money and learning about um, health, healthy habits and, and um, you know, exercise and all of that kind of things. Most of them never had people that believed in them. Mm. Wow. And you did. Truly remarkable. And just so funny how God has such a sense of humor. He really does. I mean, if you listen to him and you follow, you truly follow his path that he wants for your life, like you look back and you just have to laugh, especially at the moments that were um, not the greatest moments of your life. You look back and just think, wow, like that story that he was crafting for you, you could have never written yourself. Yeah, exactly. You could have never envisioned it yourself and um just so beautiful what you're doing down there in Australia and really what a remarkable story and just thank you so much for putting it out into the world and and sharing it for individuals you know I haven't exactly experienced what you have but um I could definitely feel a lot of my experiences kind of um, tangling within it and um just giving me a sense of hope and just things to think about and and ponder on on forgiveness, like you had talked about, and just how to take your your mess and turn it into your message and know that God always has something great in store for you, um, even if you can't feel it and don't see it right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the hardest thing is when we're in it, um, others see the potential in us as well. Um, and, you know, it's like that, that, diamond in the in the in the midst of that black hole the diamond is there within each one of us um god doesn't make junk he he creates diamonds and then we're put in this world which is so dark and can be so horrible um but it also has such beauty and it really is about what we're going to focus on are we going to focus on all the things that have happened to me and how horrible it was and and all of that is true and all of that is real and all of that is painful and it's hard and it's um you know there were times in my own life where I was so low that I didn't think I was going to make it through um and then there's that one person and really sometimes it's all it takes you know and I just want to encourage your listeners um if you are that one person for someone else, if there's someone in your life that you are watching and you're seeing them isolate and you're seeing them um, withdraw, please do whatever you can to get them the help that they need because sometimes you just can't, when you're in that place, you just can't ask for help. It's just not in you to ask um, and or, or to change yourself if we knew how to change ourselves, we would have done it. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. we, you know, if uh, you know that that old saying, "Oh, well, you could stop anytime you want to." That's a lie because we can't. We're addicted. We're you know, there's there's physical components to it, spiritual components, emotional components, and and it takes a lot to become the whole person that that God created us to be when you've been through so much trauma. So I want to encourage your listeners: make the phone call confront that person that you love um it's better to for them to be angry at you for a little while than it is um for something tragic to happen so um get out there and and be bold speak the truth in love always always in love and um yeah 
So I, and I also want to just encourage you all to, to live that authentic, significant life. Um, you know, recycle the things in your past, if you can confront the things in that are going, that are facing you right now in your present so that you can have a better foundation for what, for 2021. I think it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> if 2021 is anything like this year, um, I think we're going to be in for a wild ride and we need that strong foundation and we need each other to be honest and to be truthful and to find those people that you can trust to begin to share what's going on behind your mask because it really is it's taking me 60 years. <laughs> I turned 60 last January and it's taken me 60 years to learn how to live this life. Um, and hopefully, God willing, I'll have the next 40 years to really enjoy it, <laughs> to really enjoy it this way. So um, yeah, just thanks so much, Erica. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for just um, sharing and being authentic and just such a good word. So your story is amazing and the book is fantastic. So how can the listeners get a hold of your book, get a hold of you if they want to connect with you? Um, let them know how they can how they can get the good stuff. I've made it kind of simple. I guess on social media, I'm on Facebook and it's diane.spicer.37. Don't ask me why it's 37, but that's another story. It's <laughs> diane.spicer.37. Uh, Instagram, it's Diane Spicer Life. And if you want to go to my website, it's dianespicer.com. So I've just used my name um, to keep it simple and to keep it easy for me to remember. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> dianespicer.com, easy. And um, there you can find, um, I set up a bit of a, my business that I'm running now is, is a coaching and mentoring business. So for those who are looking for coaching or, or mentoring, there's some information there. There's a whole new um, suite of coaching groups that will be coming in the next couple of weeks. So um, that's not yet on there, but it will be coming. And But you'll also find information about my book on the website where if you're in Australia, you could buy the book through the website. Um, if you're not in Australia, you can um, just click on the link and that will take you to Amazon where you can buy the paperback or for the next two days only, for December only, um, you can get a free ebook. And for those of you who are listening to this after um, 20, in 2021, uh, yeah, you could get the ebook um, through, um, through my website as well. So head to dianespicer.com. And I guess that's the easiest way to just find out all the information about me being a speaker, being a coach, and also the book that I've just offered. Wonderful. Thank you so, so very much. Just appreciate your time and um, look forward to staying connected. Yes. Thank you so much, Erica. God bless you, everyone. Thank you. Congratulations to saying yes to yourself. Fill it up your cup, feed in your soul. If you want more, head over to faithinspiredpodcast.com for show notes and links to all the goodies mentioned in today's podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep you faith-inspired. <laughs>